1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this week's episode of Damsels in the DMs... I mean, I think it's important for actors to know that I'm a person. I'm not a a, a wall. I'm not an impediment. I'm not someone who hates you or wants to stop you. I'm um, someone who thinks... That actors are magic and that what they're capable of is extraordinary and wonderful. And, um, and if they know that, then they know I'm on their side and then they can stop being intimidated or nervous around me. Uh, they can start being encouraged and inspired by me instead. There's some damsels in the DMs. Oh. Please tell us what's the vibe. Of- DMs, DMs. Uh-huh. Yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah.
2: It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. We've gotten some feedback from you guys that you still want to hear about our lives, even though we're not doing host episodes at the moment. So I forgot to ask, Osh, how's your life going? What's new?
3: life is so good. My mom is actually coming to visit me tomorrow, and I'm so excited because it's been a while since she's been in LA. My apartment was under construction last year when she was here, so she's never been able to stay in my house, and I'm so excited for her to be here and feel at home and just hang out and have some mommy and me time
2: oh and your place is so nice I'm sure she'll love it
3: she's gonna love it she's a big chef like or a cook she loves to cook and so I think she's most excited about my kitchen rather than me <laughs> 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 cook really yummy meals in there but Lauren I'm seeing you so soon I know,
2: I'm so excited.
3: So excited. Your boyfriend texted me being like, I'm so excited to see your amazing skiing skills. <laughs> and let me tell you, when I went to Big Bear at the beginning, a month ago, I was so trash and I was so scared and I was so in my head. And I'm blaming it on my boots because my boots were way too big for me but I don't know what happened between a year I hadn't been skiing in that year and I don't know what happened but I was a scaredy cat dude like really every, every turn every every bump like I'd be like oh my god oh my god I'm scared I'm scared I'm scared yeah
2: yeah to be honest I thought I wasn't going to see you that much because you were going to be like on the back bowls or whatever where I, I will not be going I, I, okay because I like live in blues land you know in the occasional black
3: so you know I think I'm gonna be happy with blues I I think I'm gonna do a little ski lesson to get me back wow to where I was or just help me out a little bit because I told Brian I was like I'm eating my words right now
2: I'm shocked to hear this because I think of you as a ski snob
3: <laughs> me too I think of myself like <laughs> I don't know what happened I truly don't know what happened when I was in Big Bear and it's Big Bear it's not like it's yeah
2: crazy.
3: it's so flat I was so scared what's happening to me
2: wow well listeners we will give a full recap on asha's skiing i mean <laughs> listen you're gonna get exactly what you expect i'm i ski blues i ski them how you'd expect me to ski blues there's no surprises coming from me so
3: my we're cards make, are on the table we're gonna make a lot of fun content and real. <laughs> that's what i'm there for okay The it's like the
2: content with the girls that are like girls can do extreme sports and then it's like on the bunny slope like sliding down
3: (laughs) that's gonna be me and I literally told everyone and their mom that I'm a professional skier I'm not anymore I take it back I was like I was like oh maybe I'll bring some books and just like stay and read and like be all wholesome and I'm like what is wrong with you dude like you've been dying to go skiing for the longest time I don't know what happened in Big Bear I was also like just sick and off my game. So we need to figure it out. You need to help me figure it out.
2: I think you've just been in your head this week. I think you just like no, need to go. Month. Yeah.
3: Happened last month
2: month. Oh, damn. damn. It happened
3: Last month where I was so excited to go ski and got on there and I was like, I'm so scared.
2: But you've had like weird sicknesses and stuff. I feel like when you're like with your mom and stuff and you just have more time to recover and everything you'll get your confidence back.
3: I agree. I'm gonna yeah. be just to tell me how amazing I am
2: because i told brian i was like yeah ash was like saying she's not gonna ski or whatever and i was like he was like ah give her a week she'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) i'm like okay brian you know ash better than me i guess it makes sense
3: (laughs) he's my boyfriend too please stop yeah getting that fact okay excuse
2: me excuse me
3: what's new with you lauren you've been so freaking busy
2: yeah i've been really freaking busy i don't have a life anymore um yeah i came into this podcast today like in a half i'm I did not notice the film posters that were behind me. Um, This is my best grad school friend's house because we're here filming today. Um, But I'm gonna be on spring break soon, which is gonna be great when I go to see Osh. I'm going to my favorite place in the world next week in LA. But I had something very exciting because this podcast talks about DMs. Um, So I've really been excited to talk about my DMs. I don't know why I get the weirdest DMs of anyone on this (laughs) podcast. I think Osh is holding back personally. um I got an extremely long email um with a sugar daddy proposition and I am not kidding Osh. I need to send this to you I wish we could read it out on the podcast but it would take so long because of how long this is the yes the person found me on IMDB he like references things from my IMDB um and like tells me that we can like go on trips to Australia apparently he's like taken on other clients I don't know what you call them um that were actors in the past so he's like as an actor like I know it can be hard like I'll supplement she even went on to get married my previous actor sugar baby anyway whatever um it's an extremely long proposition uh I'm not gonna read it out loud again but I'm so tempted to but my favorite part is when he gives descriptors on himself he goes very athletic business type, yet very casual. And upon response and interest, I'll share a picture. Um, Now, anyway, you know, most girls would probably be like afraid to tell the world, tell the parents, tell their boyfriend, you know, me, I forward the email directly onto Brian, not just to his personal account. I also sent it to his work account to make sure he sees it. And I go, (laughs) watch out because, you know, I think that I should use this opportunity to start like a bidding war, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know,
3: Brian has been with you for seven years, almost eight, maybe you need to keep this man on his toes. He's too. Exactly. Oh, he's you can't too- let them get too comfortable. Exactly. He's like, I've locked this girl down. She's been, with yeah. me. She's never leaving me. Oh, no, no, no. until sugar daddy comes and makes me better offers than you.
2: Exactly. No, come on, people. We got to keep them on their toes. They can't get too comfortable. No,
3: you know, I, I, I am going to send you fake sugar daddy request just to send him to Brian and keep him on his toes. Even for me too. I'm going to send myself some and send him to Brian because he has two girls. Yeah, exactly. No, we need to start a bidding war, you know, like, what can you bring to the table? Yeah, Exactly. And then we'll sit down and have a meeting and discuss. Also, my
2: mom is going to listen to this episode and she's gonna be like, Lauren, like Brian brings so much to the table. He's so wonderful. And nobody's doubting that. Nobody's doubting that. But it's just, you know, just it's good. You got to keep them on their toes
3: listen Apple has constant updates right software updates Brian needs that too I'm not (laughs) saying the iPhone is like you know horrible or has yeah okay sometimes it has flaws it just needs a little bit of an update just needs a little tune-up yeah update Brian is
2: just like an iPhone
3: (laughs) he's just like an iPhone
2: (laughs) and my iPhone right now is flawed let me tell you that I need a new iPhone but I'll keep a new Brian just get an updated
3: model Exactly, let's just focus on the boyfriend rather than on the phones. Um, There we go, see,
2: solutions for days. We're so
3: solutions oriented, wow, I
2: love it. Today we are here with John Frank Levy, who is a prolific casting director. He's cast shows like ER, Shameless, West Wing has won Emmys in the past, and he just wrote a book and he's here to tell us all about it.
3: I feel like we learned a lot Mm -hmm. and I'm so excited for you guys to hear from him because we haven't had a casting director on yet and I know that I really want to know the minds of casting directors because it can be really confusing as an actor yeah Um, so just to know who is on the other side um, to know like what their process are what how they work um, seeing them as creatives not just people who could change your lives, but you know, other creatives than you guys are. He loves talking about collaboration and it is a huge collaborative thing. So it's really cool to see them as colleagues rather than this big, powerful, scary thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. All right, everybody. Well, let's take a dive into talking with John. Get into it. All right, and we are here with John Frank Levy. Hello, John, thank you so much for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
3: We have so many questions for you.
1: <laughs> well, good. I hope I can answer them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, I mean, we know that
2: you're an Emmy-winning casting director. You've just added author to your repertoire. Walk us through a little bit about how you got into casting, how you got interested in the entertainment industry to begin with, everything to get you to the place that you're in now.
1: Well, that could take all day. <laughs> and we're
2: here all day. <laughs>
1: um, Uh, In college, I was an actor and a director in the theater, and when I uh, got married and moved to California, I started to pursue the theater as a director again. Um, I was still interested in acting, but uh, it wasn't really my uh, strong suit. Somehow I kept uh, ending up directing rather than performing, Um, and I, 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 I received a play. Uh, about a bunch of Eastern European kids who formed one of the first kibbutz in Israel. It was called The Night of the 20th. And it was very analogous to my experience uh, uh, as a college kid and shortly thereafter uh, and kind of in the communal hippie movement, uh, some of the very same issues of rebellion and freedom and uh, creativity uh, uh, were at the source of this group of kids. And I directed that play uh, for an organization in LA that I don't think exists anymore called the New Artef Players. The Artef Players, the original, were a Yiddish theater in New York City. Um, it happened that a young man who uh, I cast in the, in the play named Jeremy Lawrence uh, was in a, a relationship with a fellow who worked at the Mark Taper Forum and I guess Jeremy would go home at night and say that uh, the rehearsals were going well. And eventually, his partner Bob came to see the show um, and uh, during previews and and loved it. And recommended to his boss uh, uh, Gordon Davidson, who ran the Center Theater Group in the Mark Taper Forum here in L.A., that he come and see the show, which he did. And amazingly enough, he called me shortly thereafter, and uh, offered me the opportunity to uh, uh, have the taper apply on my behalf for the NEA Director's Fellowship to join the staff there for uh, a a period of time. Uh, Unfortunately, the woman who was in charge of writing the grants missed the deadline, so I didn't get the NEA Director's Mm -hmm. Fellowship. If I was uh, Congressman Santos, I would say that I did, but I didn't. But Gordon was still uh, committed to having me join the staff, and so I just became a staff director, uh, um, and I, I stayed at the Taper for two and a half years and got lots of wonderful experiences as a director. But among the things that happened that changed my life was that for the first time in my life, I found out that there was such a thing as a casting director. Mm. And I directed a lot of new pl- new plays and readings for the staff and a person from the literary department came and served as the dramaturg and the casting director uh, uh, brought actors to me and the playwright. Uh, and then we set out to work on the project for a while and, and then present it to the staff. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of a casting director. So, you know, some years later I was uh, directing around Los Angeles and, and I, uh, I got a bad review for a production of A.R. Gurney Jr.'s, The Dining Room. And I was out for a cocktail with a casting director named Barbara Clayman, And she said, kid, if you're gonna take it this hard you should come and work for me. <laughs> so I did the following Monday. Wow. 38 so- years later. Here I am sitting with you, ladies.
3: Oh <laughs> wow! And how how has your career as a casting director changed over the years? What was that like to go from working for Barbara to having you know like all the success with the shows that you've cast?
1: Well, uh, uh, you know, I was Barbara's associate along with my dear friend Dee Dee Bradley. And then I worked for a really great teacher and casting director named Marsha Kleinman uh, for a a while. Uh, I was introduced to her by my college friend, Eileen Berg, who was producing movies for television at ABC television. And then I uh, transitioned over to Warner Brothers where I was no longer working under other casting directors as an associate, but was given an office of my own. An assistant and projects of my own uh, under the late great Phyllis Huffman. Among the very first projects that I did there, I did with Phyllis in the pilot, and then I did the episodes myself. Was a wonderful show called China Beach. Um, it, it, it spoke to me greatly, and it introduced me to people who are still friends and um, and and professional colleagues. Um, how has it changed well for one thing it changed because i was in charge instead of being an associate uh, and empowered to uh, use my skills and talents to cast these projects that were upcoming and uh and obviously in many other ways the world changed
2: mm-hmm.
1: and technology uh eventually crept in and and changed the way we do things it doesn't change the essence of what we do but it it does change the methodology and in many ways it makes things much more convenient and it makes uh access to projects much greater we might see 30 people today where we once saw five or six um and and at the same time i would say from my perspective that we lost a lot when when the transition to technology happened because we're all uh, on Zoom and doing self tapes, and we're never actually in the same space. Um, and there's so much to be gained by being in the same space that I miss terribly.
2: Yeah. At this point in your career, you've worked in theater, film, TV, and all of those different mediums. Which do you think resonates the most with you?
1: Well, I've had the greatest success and the greatest fun uh, doing television. And I'm—I think I'm known mostly for television. I've done a little of other things, Uh, but uh, but I am essentially a television casting director, and proud and happy to be same.
3: What's your favorite show that you've cast?
1: You know, that's like asking me which one of my children I love the most,
3: (laughs) which most parents Um, have an answer for. I ask my mom this all the time. (laughs) Me (laughs) tomorrow, and I'm going to ask her once she comes because I know she's going to go up to Seattle to see my brother. I want to make sure that I've.
1: I got the title. <laughs> she loves you differently and completely and equally. And, uh, and and each of my shows, you know, I mean, on some level, China Beach was uh, like the first love of your life. You, you'll remember her always. But ER was the first enormous triumph. Uh, uh, and so you'll remember her always as well. Uh, the West Wing was an enormous challenge and a a great opportunity and a great experience. Uh, 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 Southland was a show I uh, really enjoyed doing and I love many of those actors are people I'm staying in touch with today. Uh, uh, Shameless was incredibly fun because it was, uh, you know, after years of doing network television, you'd read page 22 of a script and you'd kind of go, really? We can say that. We can do that. This is going to be exciting. And then, of course, the last thing I did that was a major hit was Animal Kingdom, a crime family drama on TNT. And um, it was fantastic. And I loved the cast and I loved the collaboration and the community that was uh, involved. So the answer is I love them all.
2: What made The West Wing such a challenge to cast?
1: Uh, well, you know, it was uh, it was produced by Warner Brothers Television under the auspices of John Wells' production, who had done ER and, and who had been on the staff of the writing team on China Beach. And uh, I guess the, part of the challenge was that uh, Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shlomi, the director, were brought in the project, but it got produced because of John's relationship with NBC. And so there was um, an unclear uh, structure of the dynamics between all of those parties. And I I guess Aaron and Tommy probably saw me as John's guy, which I was. And, uh, And so the collaboration wasn't automatic and easy the way it had been with john and others and also um i had worked with tommy before on the live episode of er and so i knew him but aaron is a very unusual cat uh he is a one-man band and so it's not quite the same collaborative community feeling that john fosters Mm. and and that i am very much uh excited by and, uh, and and my creativity is uh, released in a collaborative and community environment. And so working for someone who is brilliant, but perhaps could, I have described him in the past as a one man band, doesn't leave you very much opportunity to have your process be part mm-hmm. of the deal.
3: So when you've worked, um, had full control over your creativity and being the casting director. What is your, can you walk us through your process of how you choose your your group of actors that are your final group of actors that you send off to the directors and producers?
1: Uh-huh. Well, thank you for noticing that uh, we get to say no and maybe, and then we send off a group of choices to producers and directors. And then in, a, in the best circumstances, we collaboratively make decisions. I. Because of my long relationship with Mr. Wells and all of his colleagues, um, I have collaborative uh, input and, and influence, which I'm grateful for, and which I don't think is always the case for casting people. But um, um, my process is mostly intuitive. Um, I I, uh, I say in the book um, that I'm sort of a vibist, which is a a word a dear friend of mine told me to mm-hmm. get rid of in the book because she thought it meant someone who played the vibraphones. <laughs> but but yeah. I, I think it means someone who gets you, who gets yeah. a sense of you right away and has an instinctive understanding of what your qualities are and how to place you in a project that would benefit you and benefit the project. and And, you know, other casting directors, I think, excuse me, rely greatly on a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of your resume and your work. And they watch television uh, every night for three or four hours after they come home from work. I'm not encyclopedic. Uh, I, I, I am not. I mean, obviously, I've watched a lot of television and films and I've gone to the theater and showcases and all kinds of ways to watch actors perform but i'm uh, that's not my strength my strength is my intuitive nature and my instinct for understanding uh what your quality is and how best to place it
2: and as a vibist, as you've described, what do you look for in vibes from actors? And I know that it, you know, depending on the character they're portraying and what a cast needs, there could be many different vibes. But what would you say are some characteristics or qualities you look for in all of the actors you bring in?
1: Well, it's not all of them. Each co- each project and each character has uh, its own uniqueness, and each actor, of course, has its own uniqueness. But I would say when we were doing ER and we were casting the regulars, the doctors, Mm -hmm. George and Anthony and Noah and Eric and Sherry to begin with, and then many, many dozens of others as the years, 15 years went on. I was always looking for someone who felt heroic. That was something that they all had to have in common. When I was casting Animal Kingdom, uh, and I was casting the regulars who were members of the crime family, whatever else was unique about their unique individual characters, they all had to have the capacity to feel dangerous. And so each project and each character has its own demands, but uh, I, I, I'm always looking... The thing that is in common with all projects is that I'm looking for authenticity, I have said in the book and elsewhere that if I write simple and real, after you've auditioned for me, you've done your job from my point of view,
2: mm.
1: um, and and uh, I, I I crave uh, simplicity, authenticity, a real sense of you making an emotional connection, and not uh, and and not having a performative style, having a naturalistic, easygoing. Kind of approach, You know, I listen to a lot of music and um, the singers that I respond to, like Nat King Cole or Diana Krall, aren't showing off the virtuosity of their voice. They're really just letting the words kind of drop out of their mouths in the melody. And that's the kind of acting I respond to as well.
2: Hmm.
3: What was a technical question for you? Because me and Lauren, we met at acting school and we um the acting school that we're at was very technical and um not nit i feel like a little bit nitpicky about every single every line ev- how you're going to deliver that line you know like it's very technical as a casting director when you have actors come in and they're super tech i don't feel natural i don't feel like myself i feel like somebody's like i'm like a puppet and like i have to hit this line properly and i have to get this done especially with comedy As a casting director, how important is it for you, for your actors to hit every single line perfectly and not change some of the words and be um, very technical to the writing?
1: Well, I I, I think you need to say the words that are written. I think that's important. Um, However, I am not in the least bit interested in you performing the result that you or somebody else has imposed on you. I think that's... um, can I say a crock of shit on your podcast? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> um, that's the worst approach to acting possible. And I am i hope you're no longer studying at that place where you met because um, doing it right, fulfilling the map is nonsense. Doing, working inside out is the only way to get to authenticity. Uh, if you're feeling the feelings and thinking the thoughts and what if in yourself successfully into the emotional state and circumstances of the character, and you've answered the questions about who it is, what's going on, you know, how and all of the questions about their interior life, the result will take care of itself. It will come out of your creativity. And if you're fulfilling somebody's plan of the single one God approach to acting, um, you are in fact a puppet in a marionette and you won't be authentic and you certainly won't get the job in my office.
2: Hmm. Yeah, great yeah, great answer.
3: Yeah, answer really good to know, because I feel like I've been putting a lot of pressure on myself to hit every single thing that previous teachers have told me. And if I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it. Um, and it just feels super unnatural. So that's really good to know, even for our listeners who are dealing with um, methods like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, you've mentioned about how casting has changed in the era of self-taping, particularly after the pandemic. When did you decide to write your book? Why? And what's the reception been since writing it?
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I did a podcast for an acting teacher who I've known for a long time. I knew her when she was an actress, when I was casting the pilot of the ER. She invited me to do this podcast and I did so. And just kind of casually after we finished, um, Uh, she said to me, uh, and we were in the same room, actually. (laughs) She said to me, you know, your stories are funny and instructive, and I think my actors will benefit from them. And I'm glad we did this. We could have talked for hours. Um, You should write a book. And uh, that's at which point I I tone-deafly sang, if you think I should write a book, (laughs) you're one crazy schnook. Uh, But, you know, she had just finished writing a book about her acting technique, and she introduced me to the woman who wrote it with her, uh, a fantastic person named Trudy Roth, who uh, gets credit on the cover of my book as told to because uh, there would be no book if there was no Trudy. Hmm. And we met at the beginning of the pandemic, and she sent me a book called How to Write About Yourself, which was written by somebody who had written about himself. Hmm. I found it very interesting. And she and I began to meet on zoom. And she gave me uh, the uh, assignment, the homework of uh, sending an email to her at least once a day, and sometimes as many as four or five times a day of a memory of my professional life. And um, eventually, she collected and organized those memories. And she and I talked about how the structure of the book might feel or look. Eventually we met in person and she's such a warm and wonderful woman that I began to feel comfortable at revealing more than just anecdotes and stories about things that happened in my office as a casting director. And she encouraged me to do what I told her was important to me, but I was reluctant to do, which is to describe my personal journey and the impact it had on my professional journey. Um, And and I did that, and, and I think that's been very successful. And I'm incredibly proud to say that the book has been out a little bit over six months now, and there have been fewer than five days without a single sale. And that on Amazon, we have um, gone past, I think it's 1,200 books now. And I've done some live book sales events as well. And also there have been some sales in Europe and on the Barnes and Noble site. Mm -hmm. And I think we're up to somewhere uh, uh, about 1,800 copies of the book sold in just over six months. And the, uh, you know, when I first met Trudy, I said, I know I got a lot of stories, but I don't know what the book is about. And she she and I discovered what the book is about, which is in many ways, it's about community and it's about collaboration and its title is right for the Role. And it's about me on my personal journey and finding the role that I was right for to contribute to community and collaboration and how all of us as artists actors casting directors set designers directors of photography caterers costumers hair and makeup people whoever you are your work will benefit from your getting to know yourself Hmm. and getting to really examine in an authentic and genuine way your journey
2: yeah that's really beautiful can you share some of the stories that you tell or like maybe your favorite one in the book?
1: Well, there's so many, but I, <laughs> I, can, I guess off the top of my head, I, I I like to share the story of Noah Wiley's audition for ER. Um, first off, his his agent at the time was a woman whose taste I really trusted. And Noah was a very young actor who had done a couple of features and but had not none of them had been released yet. So I had nothing to look at. Uh, and she kept saying, I kept saying, sure, I'd be happy to see him. Uh, but he has to come in and read for casting first. And, uh, but I'm, cause I'm not using a valuable slot with my producers and directors for a guy. I don't know. And she was stubborn and mulish. And eventually she caught me on a day when I guess I had uh, thought, Oh, what the hell? Okay. And, um, And and so I gave Noah an appointment to come in for producers. As it happened, it was the one day in the casting process of the pilot that Dr. Michael Crichton was present in the room, along with John Wells and uh, uh, the director, Rod Holcomb. And I went out in the hallway to get Noah. And uh, he, he was lovely and charming and said to me, hey, John, thanks for the appointment. And I'm happy to read the scenes that you guys have asked me to read but I'd like to do something else as well and I was a little worried because oftentimes Mm -hmm. when an actor has a good idea it turns out to be a terrible idea (laughs) that that I'm going to regret and so will they Um, but I said well what what is it I stammered like Elmer Fudd what is it that you want to do and he said well there's a little scene with almost no dialogue in it that where uh, Dr. Carter is trying to take blood from somebody, uh, a real person for the first time after practicing on watermelons and footballs. And I'd like to do that. And I said, okay. So we came in and I sat down in the chair that was meant for him. And he tied a rubber band around my bicep and took a retractable pencil out of his pocket and proceeded to fail uh, in the most comedic Way It was almost like watching uh, Buster Keaton try to take blood, um, you know, or W.C. Fields or somebody. Uh, uh, And Crichton, who who I guess maybe had failed to take blood as a young medical student, um, I just thought it was the funniest damn thing he ever saw. And he fell off the couch, Mm. literally onto his hands and knees laughing. And I, I guess Noah got the job right then. You know, on the uh, totally other end of the spectrum, um, we were casting on ER later on in the series a part for an HIV AIDS patient. And we decided that it would be a good idea to try to be authentic. And so I uh, got in touch with the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Organization and asked if there were some men who were actors who were HIV positive or AIDS patients who might be willing to out themselves as same and and uh, audition for this part? And a group of people were sent over, and a group of guys came in and auditioned. And one guy was particularly fantastic, and we were all very moved by his authentic performance. And I said to him, "You know, that, that was fantastic." And he said, "Well, when would this shoot?" And I, I said, uh, "You know, maybe it was Tuesday." And I said. Uh, a week from yesterday. And he said, my T cell count is zero. I likely won't be alive a week from yesterday. And, you know, being a casting director plunges you into people's lives that give you a chance to grow and change in your life. I I certainly knew a lot of of, of gay men in, in that era, but I didn't know anybody who had AIDS and who was confronting his imminent death in his early thirties. And, uh, that experience was indelible for me forever. I got to be introduced to the deaf community, um, through the character of Eric LaSalle's son, who was born deaf and the controversial, but cochlear implants versus sign language. Uh, During Shameless, I got to cast a trans character, another community I didn't have much experience with, but uh, it it was a real opportunity to learn and grow and change. And it was a great opportunity for me because then later on in my actual personal life, uh, uh, someone I knew very well as a young girl became a boy and Uh, It helped me be able to accept that, Um, you know, and and then uh, I I remember kind of vividly uh, meeting the young Laurie Petty, who uh, came in to read for a movie for television and pulled a knife out of her pocket and stuck in my face. (laughs) I learned that that was a terrible idea, (laughs) and I I told her so. Um, You know, uh, one one of the things I've loved the most about being a casting director is the community that I became a member of, the collaboration that I was able to participate in, the creativity that was respected on all of our parts and the opportunity to grow and change as a man.
2: On a different note, what was it like winning an Emmy?
1: Thrilling beyond compare. Uh, stupidly thrilling, uh, like a fantasy, like a dream come true, but a dream you never had. Nobody goes into casting in search of attention. Um, I've certainly had much more than my fair share and much more than anyone has a right to expect or fantasize about. And and, and I've enjoyed... Uh, Every ride in a limousine with a bottle of champagne <laughs> uh, uh, that I've been fortunate enough to have. And and uh, the second one was just as great. And I got to take my then nine-year-old daughter to one. Uh, I don't think I won that year, but uh, she got to get her hair done and buy a dress. it's It was thrilling, just thrilling.
3: Are you still casting or now is um, being an author more of a full-time career for you? Uh,
1: Well, I am presently working on a feature film trying to attach a couple of leading roles so that they can go ahead and get funding. Um, I am hopeful that uh, another great television project is just around the corner. Um, But I have been spending the last six months uh, promoting the book and, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, and, and reaping the rewards of having done the work.
2: Well, if you would ever be interested in a student film, I'm looking for a casting director for one this summer. So
1: well, <laughs> let you me know. know. You should, con- you should contact uh, Tony Tamietti and Kim Wong, who are my longtime associates. Oh, okay. uh, great. Be happy to do it f- for you, and and whenever they do anything, I mean, I assuming that they like the script and that yeah, the, the, whatever compensation you have, this seems appropriate. Um, uh, uh, you know, in whatever projects they work on outside of my auspices, uh, I'm always available to uh, answer any questions they might have. But they're incredibly talented and incredibly skillful and dedicated and fabulous, and you'd be um, lucky as hell to have them
2: yeah awesome well thank you for that tip that's amazing so now what's your morning routine or do you have any healthy habits that you swear by to allow you to be the best version of yourself
1: at the beginning of the pandemic i think i was 27 pounds heavier than i am today Mm -hmm. um and i i did that by changing my diet i eat almost i mean i still Love to have a good steak once in a while, but I don't have it three times a week or uh, <laughs> the way I might have uh, four years ago. Um, I eat a lot of fish and chicken and vegetables and fruit. and uh, I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates except in fruit and vegetables. I, I go to a strength training program every Saturday morning to work out. And during the eight months that my pool is warm enough for me to swim without uh, – risking a heart attack i i I swim every day 50 lengths of my pool and during the months that i that i can't swim i i try to walk every day although recently this california winter weather has kept me cooped up in the house so uh, uh uh but but that's how i'm trying to stay alive so that i can have more and more wonderful experiences and with my kids and uh my friends and my family.
2: Did any of your kids end up going into entertainment? Um,
1: My son is a post-production executive for Amazon in their feature division, works a lot on documentaries, but also on uh, on feature films. Um, My daughter uh, works with kids with special needs as an educator. Uh, 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 But uh, there's a funny story that once when she was about I don't know, seven or so. She asked me about what it was like to be an actor and I, I tried to explain mm-hmm. it a little bit. And uh, my colleague and friend Dee Dee Bradley was casting a show called Life Goes On at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene for a child at a family reunion who misbehaved. And my daughter went in and, and uh, played that part during the uh, uh, casting session for Dee Dee. And then when I came home that night, I asked her, Uh, how did your audition go, Joe? And she said, all those men staring at you. And that was the end of her acting career. I'm grateful for that.
3: (laughs) I love that. That's a great story. (laughs) Okay, so do you get DMs? Do, Do people send you DMs? And if they do, what is the weirdest, wildest, or even intriguing, inspiring DM that you've gotten?
1: What's a DM?
2: Direct message, which we met over direct message. So maybe I'm the most bizarre one. <laughs> so
1: so on, on Instagram, people yes. message me. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, the most unwanted DMs on Instagram are the ones that say, hey, honey, you want to see my hot photos and maybe get my number? Uh, uh, I'm in a long-term relationship and I am not uh, in the business of hiring prostitutes on Instagram so oh please stop doing that whoever you are um, I, I've had a, I have been on Instagram because it's an incredible tool to promote the book and uh, and I'm grateful that you answered my some some posts that I did or that or frankly that Tawny did for me um, and and it, it's been useful to get on podcasts and things like that. I, haven't, I, I have reconnected with people that I haven't seen in decades uh, who are thanking me for getting them, helping them get an early job on China Beach or ER or any of the other shows that I worked on. My reservations about being on, uh, on social media have been completely reinforced by the utter inappropriateness of what's possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: yeah i agree that is bizarre um do actors reach out to you and are like hey are you casting this can you can i get an audition do people do they that? must
2: they must yeah.
1: well they don't as much anymore because i don't have an office and so there's no postcards you can send to me and uh, i'll be damned if i'm going to make my cell phone or my home address available <laughs> for you and i don't you know i don't have an office uh so if if you have my email address or you find me on instagram you know then it's possible to communicate with me and i, I i'm i'm open to that that communication but uh, it is much much a, a much less possible than it was in the old days
3: yeah yeah because mm. i remember people would it would be like not a controversy but people would be like oh yeah send postcards in to casting directors send letters send emails whatever i i've never done it just because i felt um too shy or whatever to do it but then I did a casting director session and the casting directors were like don't send us anything we don't want to read your postcards we don't want to read your emails like go strictly through your agents and your managers and I was like got it glad I never did that but noted you
1: know every casting director has a different point of view on all of that And and the casting directors that want to isolate themselves from the acting community I don't think that group of casting directors is very generous or yeah. very kind, and uh, you know I I know that it's hard, it's damn hard to get going, and and I empathize with you. You know you're, it's impossible not to take it personally because it is personal, on on the one level. If I see your work and I start to be invested in your talent. Uh, I'm interested in what you're doing and open to communicating with you. You know, it's great to communicate with me through your agent or manager, uh, and, and that's effective uh, and important, um, but it's not impossible to have something like a professional personal relationship
2: yeah i was going to say i've done a lot of casting director workshops and i feel like it really does depend on the casting director because with the ones that i've connected with i've emailed with and you know i really like hearing what they're up to and connecting with them on a personal level because i think it helps to when you're auditioning to make to know the person on the other side, so you're, when you're sending in a tape, it's not just going into the void. You know the person who's watching it, and maybe you're not right for that role, but you still know that the person cares about the work you're putting out there and is really watching it.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And 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 uh, you know, and beyond that, you, you know, it, it's uh, I, one of the points of the book is to demystify the so-called power of the casting director. We're just artists and people like you. You know, we put our pants on one leg at a time and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I I mean, I think it's important for actors to know that I'm a person. I'm not a a, a wall. I'm not an impediment. I'm not someone who hates you or wants to stop you. I'm um, someone who thinks that actors are magic. And that what they're capable of is extraordinary and wonderful. And um, and if they know that, then they know I'm on their side. And then they can stop being intimidated or nervous around me. Uh, they can start being encouraged and inspired by me instead.
2: That's such a beautiful quote. I think that's going to have to be the one we share all over Instagram. I think, I think so. <laughs> Yeah. But our last question for you is the DM of the week. And our DM of the week asks, what do you hate most about the entertainment industry and how do you get past that?
1: I don't hate anything about the entertainment industry. It's been an opportunity to pay for my children's shoes and their education. It's given me creative fulfillment. It's given me lifelong friendships. It's given me the opportunity to participate in a Collaborative, respectful com- community. Um, uh, 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 there's nothing to hate about the entertainment industry, uh, it, it, you know. And anything you decide to hate or you experience in a hateful way is gonna stop your creativity. It's gonna stop your collaboration. It's gonna stop your participation in community, and it's not gonna do you any good. Uh, uh, stay away from hating things.
2: Yeah. What a positive note to end on. (laughs) Well, John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for demystifying the casting director relationship and sharing some of your stories with us. I know that it's really going to resonate with a lot of our listeners.
1: Well, thank you for the invitation. And if I may be so bold as to say uh, to your acting community and your listeners and watchers, that the book is available on Amazon, um, that it's available in a hard copy and in a, paperback the paperback is under 20 bucks and the uh, e-book is under 10 bucks and uh, it's also available on Barnes and Nobles uh, website and uh, and keep a lookout on my Instagram to see if I'm doing a live event uh, where you might purchase a book and get it autographed. I am doing a public appearance at the Strasbourg Institute um, in a couple of I think it's next Saturday. Um, but I could be wrong, but the information is on my, uh, Instagram and it's open to the public.
2: We'll definitely share a link to purchase the book on our Instagram as well. But I actually, the way that I found you is because I saw that you were doing a seminar with SAG. So I was yeah, going I to did, participate, but I have day. class. Yeah. How just did it go?
1: It, it was great. And my friend and, uh, respected actor, Sean Hattesey, uh, interviewed me and, uh, Uh, he was very wonderfully well prepared and I think we shared a lot of good stories there were about 140 people there and uh, uh, a a bunch of books got sold the next day and uh, uh, I was grateful for the opportunity
2: and what's the link to your Instagram if case people want to find out where you can find you at events
1: John underscore Frank underscore Levy and Levy has that pesky second E in it L-E-V-E-Y
2: Perfect. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The more ease the better. Okay, everybody. Well, it's been another episode of damsels in the DMS. As usual, write us your DMS of the week. We love sharing them with guests. We'll post a list of the people that we're going to be having on in the next month. And it's a lot. Um, Thank you so much for sending us in your guest ideas. Please continue to do that. And yeah, we'd
3: love to know what you'd like to
2: hear from our guests
3: subscribe rate and review our podcast as always please we want to know what you like about us and what you don't like about us and what about us you find annoying because clearly there's more annoyings than likes because we have lauren on the show and lauren's just the most annoying human i'm just kidding we <laughs> credit. i think i need
2: more positive
3: reinforcement in our relationship Bosch.
2: so thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of damsels in the dms Until
1: next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please.
2: It's going down in the DMs. Bye.